good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk the program for the Christian layman. You know the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program's designed for someone like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily soul-shaking things, but it could be something that's just been on my mind for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk of the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program is all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Oconomowoc. I'm always mispronouncing that one, Lance. Sorry about that. Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. I apologize to everybody in Wisconsin for that one. You can send your questions at email anytime to Let's Talk at KFUO.org or call during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, call us at 314-821-0850 or anywhere in the lower 48, toll-free, 800-730-2727. Hello, Lance. Hello there. You actually did well with the pronunciation, much better than in the past. <laughs> oh, that, that has to be an Indian name. It is. Does it mean it's anything? It's confluence of five rivers. I'm trying to remember what it means. I don't remember. I remember uh, when I lived out in California, I was reading an article on uh, where the Chumash tribe had, uh, had a number of different uh, settlements. And one of them in the, uh, the native language translated directly as deer urine. I don't think that's it, but you never know. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Actually, there were a few native speakers still around, so that, that could well have been right. <laughs> you know, Lance, uh, normally I'm the one who has the questions, but I think you've got a couple. I, it was, you know, the audience should know that you know, I'm an email contact with, with all the pastors who do this, and we, we, we debate what would be a good thing to talk about. And Lance, you came up with a couple of questions yourself, and I think. Well, yeah, I, I, what I emailed you about when you talked was, you know, you you asked, so what do you, you know, what's on your mind? And uh, for the listeners, I just returned from a week of camping in South Dakota with my school's eighth graders. Every year, St. Paul Lutheran School sends our eighth graders on a class trip camping in South Dakota. And it's always remarkable to me at the end of this trip, uh, the growth that takes place, we seem to get so much done spiritually in five days that we don't necessarily get done maybe even the rest of the year and sometimes. And why is that? Well, I'm asking you, <laughs> and you don't know either. It's 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 interesting. Let's discuss it. I, I know that I'm curious what you think. Uh, I think it's a combination of things. One, uh, you know, being away from the normal pastor congregant setting, and uh, when you're out there camping, you know, the things are pretty much you're pretty much equal there. You're pretty much dependent upon each other, and. Uh, not only is the setting more informal than it might be otherwise, but you are actually seeing some wonderful examples of God's creation when you camp. That's for sure. And I think yeah, the Badlands and and uh, Custer State Park are amazing. Well, I think maybe that's part of it. Is that you know you're actually witnessing something away from your normal daily 
uh, daily life. You know, you're getting out of the city or the town or your home, and you're going into a place you normally don't see. And you see these wondrous things around you, and you, you stop and think and say, my gosh, look at what he has wrought. That is absolutely true, and I know that's, um, I, I, I think for some of the kids, that's it, that's, that's it. We, I asked them, I had them, so we got back Friday afternoon last week, so a week ago, and then I had them for confirmation class on Wednesday, and we took some time, and so I said, well, you know, what were your top moments? And it was inter- the, the, the answer, it was not uniform. Um, a handful of the kids said the bus ride, <laughs> and which I laughed because you know we leave at we have a Saturday evening worship service at five, uh-huh. and then we gather at eleven p.m. and we're on the road by eleven thirty p.m. and we drive through the night uh, to Badlands National Park. So you know you're on the bus trying to catch some sleep on a seat on the bus. It's it's hardly conducive. <laughs> it's hardly hardly conducive to comfort, and yet for 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 some of the kids, the bus trip was the best part of it. You know that reminds me. Um, back in 1964, uh, I was part of a, a, a group. There's a big Walther League gathering out in Lake Tahoe, California, and I was part of a delegation from my church and from the area here in Missouri. And we did exactly that. I mean, we took a bus out from St. Louis all the way out to uh, Lake Tahoe. And there were like two or 3,000 kids out there for this gathering. It was a marvelous thing. But, you know, I do remember that bus trip with great, with with, with pleasure. Uh, meeting people who I've never set, met, met before, who shared the same faith. And, you know, we had some interesting discussions. And uh, one thing I always remember is we we were singing the whole time. Lutherans do this, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and we were singing the whole time on the bus. That sounds like a load of fun, actually. Oh, it was. I just loved it. Uh, well, we didn't do as much singing, although I'm totally game for that in the future. Um, what I think that, at least in part, the answer to my question is we took the, we took the class and we tried to, you know, all classes, even when you get anybody group, group of people together, they tend to click you know, into like-minded jocks and nerds and arts people or whatever it might be. But we deliberately selected the kids into smaller groups to mix them up. So they had, um, they have tent mates and then they had teams for cooking. They had to, you know, they had to cook breakfast, they had to cook dinner. And so we, we forced them kind of sort of to work with people that they wouldn't normally and they did really well, and and they almost always do. And I think that's part of the growth that takes place is they realize over the course of the week when you're working in tent, you know, you're putting up a tent and taking it down the next day and you're sleeping right next to somebody you wouldn't necessarily uh, hang out with. You know, there's a boys' tents and girls' tents, and um, you realize maybe you're different but maybe maybe it's not as different as you thought. I think there's a lot of truth to that. That was one of the things I really learned in this um, Walter Lake gathering back in 64. I remember uh, 
befriending some guys from Canada, from Canada, with the Canadian church. Uh, and uh, I kept in touch with those guys for years. And, you know, as I said, you were from all over the country and all over, actually all over North America. And, sure. And it was a wonderful experience. I remember uh, afterwards the... Uh, the uh, resort that we stayed at, the name escapes me right now, the uh, management had written back to the various bodies that had arranged the uh, the uh, convention and said that, you know, they were, they were a little bit concerned, you know, having <laughs> a couple of thousand teenagers descend on their, uh, <laughs> on their resort, but said that we were the most, we, the best behaved crowd they had ever seen. How about that? It was. It was. A, I think it was a very good tribute to uh, our upbringing and and to the teachings of the church. Um, and you said this was 1964. I believe it was. How about that? You Is know, that's the uh, that's the beginning year of gen- Generation X. That's my generation. Ah, okay. Well, I'm a boomer, so <laughs> I, I know I know you are. Um, I was just talking about that. I'm going to preach a little bit this weekend on generational differences and stuff, but that's the beginning was most demographers consider, you know, the death of John Kennedy Mm -hmm. is the end of a generation, uh, is the end of the, what, the silent generation um, or the greatest generation, the World War II crowd. Yeah, uh, and I remember, uh, you know, the the Kennedy assassination was still very fresh in our minds, and that was very. Well, much I should a, say, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the Kennedy assassination becomes the end of the baby boomer generation. That after that, there's a there's a uh, a trough in birth rates uh, that starts, and also just a change in kind of generational attitude. It was, and of course, it was a big topic for discussion at the gathering. And another thing I do recall, and getting back to the Kennedy uh, assassination, that happened on a Friday, and my Waffle League group from church uh, normally met. Uh, I, I don't recall if it was every Sunday or one one Sunday month, but we were scheduled to meet that Sunday, and there was some debate as to whether or not we should do it given the events. And uh, the youth leader, late, wonderful lady named Boots Spano. Uh, decided that we should uh, we should meet, and uh, we did, and we were able to get together and share these feelings, you know, and the, the things that we couldn't talk to our parents about. Sure, but we could talk to our fellow, our, our other kids, the other Lutherans who were like us, who were feeling exactly the same things, and we could understand each other. Where again the the generational difference then of course the role the, with the parent and the child it was a it was very much of a healing experience yeah i would have, I would imagine that what a great time for that trip for you um, you know given what was going on in the country i mean Kennedy's dead, the civil rights movement is mm-hmm. is going on, and you got a chance in rather close quarters with, uh, you know, cohort, basically, generational cohort, to talk through some stuff. That would have been, that would have been amazing. It really was. And uh, the program that happened there was, was also quite amazing, especially given the times. Uh, we had uh, several guest speakers where all the, uh, the, every, all the kids gathered at, at this huge amphitheater. And uh, one of the speakers of all people was Ann Landers, who actually, yeah. who actually gave a very good talk. And another one, hold on to your hat, 
was Pete Seeger. <laughs> How about that? I know. <laughs> and, and Seeger did a uh, he did a musical routine. And, and to his credit, when he was invited, he knew that there was going to be some fireworks over that. And uh, he offered to withdraw. And the organizer said, uh-uh, we want you to come. We want to hear what you have to say. Basically, he was going to be talking about the civil rights movement, and he, which he did, and which, of course, was a good thing to endorse. Uh, and he gave a marvelous, marvelous uh, uh, concert there. And it was, I still remember that. It was, I have to say, of all the concerts I've been to, that had to have been my favorite. I remember one thing, uh, he was doing a song about um, uh, about Lumberjacks, you know, about, it was a labor song. And he is, puts down his guitar and he says, you know, I can't do this because I'm playing my guitar. That's not work. So I'm going to do some work. And he actually brought up a log, took off his shirt and started to sing as he axed the log. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a, a wonderful, wonderful exposure. And um, I mean, and he had the whole group of us coming up singing uh, We Shall Overcome. <laughs> you know? so that, there you go. There we go. And there, uh, there, is, there is a real power in shared experiences um, like like that. And I think, you know, along the lines we've been talking here, answering my own question is, you know, being on that, being on that bus, having to sit next to uh, a guy that you normally wouldn't, you know, talk with or something like that, having to make breakfast together for the rest of the crowd, um, you know, it is it is unique, and it's interesting when, when our kids graduate from eighth grade and we do this end-of-the-year graduation thing and ask them for the reflections, 80 90% of the kids end up talking about the South Dakota trip. I believe they will. Uh, that's In many ways, that is a pivotal point in their life. I mean, they're, they're eighth graders now. They're, they're at another stretch of their life. They're they're leaving yep. they're leaving their childhood behind and but they're not quite yet adolescent teenagers but they're right there at the cusp. Well, I would go through that again for anything. <laughs> I remember what it was like, but uh, but it is a, it, it's one of those areas where they're going to remember it as a landmark event in their lives, where they were transitioning from a child to a young adult. I think. Yeah, you, I mean, I think about my particular parish and the investment uh, the leadership makes in that. I mean, you think about who are the chaperones on this trip, the eighth grade homeroom teacher, the seventh grade homeroom teacher, the principal, the, and the senior pastor, uh, along with uh, a handful of other adult chaperones. Um, you know, that, that's a pretty major commitment oh, in yeah. terms of the leadership of the school. And I, it was, it was um, remarkable for me how different class was on Wednesday after the trip. What did you see as, as a difference? The, well, you know, these are eighth graders. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I taught them. We teach uh, confirmation in, the, in our school the pastors teach seventh grade confirmation and eighth grade confirmation. So I had them a lot the year before. I think before the trip, I think the kids viewed me 
mostly as a authority figure, but because you know we were setting up and taking down tents together and eating together, and you know and jumping and crawling, climbing mountains together and jumping in a great big. You know, we go to uh, hot springs, South Dakota, and go in a big pool and jump around. I think they saw me as a human being. Ah, and. It was a fascinating difference for me. I hope it continues through the year because I, th- I, I really believe it was mutual. When I walked in the classroom on Wednesday, uh, their, their homeroom teacher, uh, Ben Miller, had just had to give them a, a little bit of a, a, a discipline talk, and I walked in right at the tail end of it, and I could, I could tell that the, the kids kind of had their tails between their legs a little bit. And so, you know, I came in, and then he left the room to go do some other things. And, you know, I started to address them on the issue a little bit. And I could tell that I had their attention, and they weren't just wiggling around and and trying to make themselves known as often eighth graders are before that. There was a connection that you didn't have before. There was a connection that I didn't have before, and I really think it was mutual. Um, I knew them better, and they knew me better, and and they knew me not as just this, you know, th- this kind of authority figure, uh, but as a human being who re- who was really invested in them. That's a valuable thing to have, uh, especially for those kids, because they're. Well, and I'm, I'm going to say it especially for you, too, because sometimes yeah. I suspect from the pulpit you get rather lonely and you wonder if you're it really connecting. Be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. And, you're, you know, we, you, know it, we, you have to discipline the kids. You have to tell them to sit down. You have to tell them to, you know, listen and this, you know, and it, it does get old after a while. Um, and, you know, you know, they knew, I, I, you know, I had to bark at a couple boys uh, when we were at Mount Rushmore. Um, a couple of the boys were disrespectful toward one of the the female teachers. Oh, okay. And um, and it went over the line, and then I, what I considered quite a bit over the line, and I jumped on them hard, and in that context rather harsh language and there was something about the context there that uh they got the message loud and clear but from somebody that they knew really loved them yeah well it's like um oh one of the pastors here had a t-shirt that said uh what would jesus do turning over tables and chasing people with a whip is an option <laughs> I want that T-shirt. <laughs> I want that T-shirt. I want it. That's yeah. That's great. It is. Uh, yeah, they, they, you're right. This it, it is. It is very much a mutual thing. Uh, them towards me and me towards them. And it was. It was just such a different class in confirmation after the trip than it was before. You know, even d- earlier during the week, I think I came in, Monday is my Sabbath day, so I came in the building on Tuesday, and the kids were getting their school pictures taken. Mm-hmm. 
and I saw the eighth graders going in to get their pictures taken. And, you know, I try and joke with the kids now and then, but you know, often when they do, when I do before this, it was a little bit, they would look at me askance. Well, I, you know, I walked in the room and I told the photographer, and I won't name the, I won't name the kid's name because he, he's great, but I said, uh, you know, watch out for this kid. He's got a nose-picking problem. Oh, shit! <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and whereas, whereas before, <laughs> I, I said, whereas before, he would have, you know, he, he would have got, he would have acted out, He just, and he just immediately put his arm around me and smiled because he knew, <laughs> you know, I was just kind of jabbing him a little bit. And that I was kidding. Um, so it was. At least he hoped so. <laughs> right. No, he knew it. So it was, you know, it was great. Um, it, it, yeah, wouldn't you love to have your pastor say that about you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that might have driven me to the Catholics. <laughs> yeah. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I, I could just picture that. And that, that I didn't it's... violate radio protocol with no. that, did I? No, except that you cracked up the host. You know, <laughs> <laughs> So it was, uh, it, you know, it was just one of the things. I could have, you know, I could have said that to him before, you know, and it wouldn't be unknown for me to say such a thing. Um, but he would have received it differently. But I said it because I knew, I knew he would receive it with a smile. And, uh, and it was great. The relationship, the relationship is different. And it's, a, in some respects, a little bit more collegial uh, and a, a more understanding and more mature. As I said, you know, that's, that's the turning point in their lives around eighth grade. I remember, you know, when I was in eighth grade, uh, just about ready to go to, at the time, we had junior high, you know, so I was uh, just now finishing up uh, elementary school and going on to junior high for my freshman year. And uh, it was, it was very much of a turning point. And uh, you, you start looking at things, or at least I did. I started looking around and seeing things differently, seeing myself differently. And uh, I mean, thank God for the Walther League to gave me the support that I needed. Because that, that's a terrible time, I think, in, in a child's life. You know, your hormones are suddenly starting to kick in. Uh, you suddenly discover things like acne. Uh, if you're a guy, yeah. your voice starts to change. Oh, do I remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, it's a time of great insecurities. You know, you're, you're changing. You know you're changing, and you don't quite understand what's going on. There are feelings you have that suddenly you can't control. Right. And uh, to know that, I guess, when you went on this camping trip with these kids, they got to realize that this isn't just Pastor... O'Donnell here, that this is a guy who's gone through the same thing that we're going through, and he understands. Yeah, we had a, yeah, without a doubt, we had a lot, I think we had a lot of fun and, uh, and learned a great deal. What a great, what an amazing part of the country, too, as mm. a shout out to the, to South Dakota. I mean, I'd, I'd been there before, three years before, you know, I'd be gone there and, and also on vacation, but uh, the Badlands and the Black Hills never get old. No. I, uh, I was out there when I was a kid. My my dad was a firm believer in all of us going to see the country. And I do remember going to Mount Rushmore and uh, and the, the Badlands. 
We had a one of the one of the fun things about taking trips like that is, you know, when you take a trip, you you almost have to make a plan, and that that plan almost invariably gets changed. <laughs> yep. And it, you know, and there's there's important life lessons in that. And, you know, you can, you can, and a lot of this I think is about attitude. You can make a choice to, you know, either complain about how things are going and the way things didn't go to plan, or you just say, well, you know, I didn't have any control over this, so we're going to make the best of it and see, you know, see what can happen. Hmm. And we had a whole bunch of those moments. Uh, on this trip, we had a, a number of things that we didn't get to do that we normally get to do. You know, Mount Rushmore was uh, largely shut down because they're doing renovations, so we we couldn't see some things. And uh, we often go to Wind Cave National Monument. That was closed because their elevator. We couldn't really get in there because their elevator was down. We ended up doing other things, and it was great. So. Opportunities opened up for you that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Opportunities opened up, and our and our leadership chose to see them as opportunities rather than complain. Good. You know, think about the think about the impact on the kids. You know, of the let's say for the the principal, the two leaders, you know, the eighth grade homeroom teacher and the principal in particular, if they did just decided to say. Oh, this is terrible. You know, what are we going to do? You know, I mean, you, you can imagine how that would ripple down through the eighth graders. Mm-hmm. You know, instead they said, you know, we're going to face this with a with a growth mindset. Well, we're let's see what we can learn and see what we can do differently. Well, sounds like it was a very profitable, a very profitable trip. Uh, Lance, got to take a little break here, but I think we got yeah. a lot more to discuss about. We're 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 really on a roll here. And I think we're learning a lot. We'll be right back. This is Pastor Stanley Stanley asking you to save the date Tuesday, October 8th for a great day of golf and fellowship at Norwood Hills Country Club to benefit Christian Friends of New Americans. Registration 10.30 followed by lunch and 18 holes scramble shotgun start at 12 noon. Evening event includes 5 p.m. hospitality hour, dinner and awards. Become a sponsor or register at cfna-stl.org slash golf or call 314-517-8513. A great way to spend the day. Play a round of golf and support CFNA as they bring the love of Christ to refugees and immigrants in the St. Louis area. Not a golfer, but would like to learn more about CFNA and ways to be involved? Register for the evening hospitality hour and dinner event. That's Tuesday, October 8th at Norwood Hills Country Club. Register at cfna-stl.org slash golf or call 314-517-8513. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, 
Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash careers. This week on Lamplighter Theater. I'm here to rescue you from that sad one-horse town of Overbrook. Introduce you to the city where there's music, drink, beautiful girls. I read last night how Jesus was abused, even tortured, but he forgave. That's, that's why he came, but he was God. He should have punished his abusers. Don't miss the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. The sounding of the shofar announces Rosh Hashanah, a celebration of the Jewish New Year, this year beginning Sunday evening and ending Tuesday evening. Much of the days are spent in synagogue with morning prayers for the New Year and readings from the Torah. The blasts of the shofar follow the readings of the Torah, including Genesis 21, 1 through 34, describing God's remembrance of Sarah's prayer and the birth of her and Abraham's son, Isaac, and Genesis 22, 1 through 24, when God instructs Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on Mount Moriah. It's a time of festivals, meals, prayer, and resting from work. A time to celebrate a new year and the beginning of the high holy days in the Jewish tradition. Engage with the Bible in its traditions over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back. Let's talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Chip Allen. And my guest pastor today is Pastor Lance O'Donnell from Akamanawak, Wisconsin. And we're talking about extraordinary experiences and, and how we can learn these turning points in our lives where we really learn things that are unexpected. I guess the word to describe it is serendipity, Lance. You know, the uh, answer, uh, an unexpected answer to a question unasked. Uh, serendipity is a good word uh, for one of the things that happened. Okay. Our, um, our uh, trip leader, the eighth grade homeroom teacher, Ben Miller, uh, was using some material from a, a Tim Elmore book called Habitudes, and he was talking about uh, service and and priorities, so making sure that we, we had a, a challenge for each other, you know, to identify you know, what really our priority should be. And then we took a close look in the mirror. Are those things that are we know are, are, are that we know are our priorities? Are they really our priorities? Ah. And, you know, so we talked about, you know, when, when everybody fills out these priority things, every, you know, this is a Christian school. They all put God at the top. And so then we asked each other. So does it really work out that way in your life or is sports more important on Sunday morning mm. or sleep or this or that? And so it was in the context of talking about keeping our priorities straight. Um, we ended up, we took our a little side, we took our trip that we always do to Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore is under construction because they had some water damage and there's some places we can't go. And we're walking up into the lobby area uh, outside the cafeteria at Mount Rushmore. 
and the kids are running around and I'm walking through and I look over and there's this uh, lovely gray haired woman and I kind of did a double take and she was sitting there with uh, a man who looked like her husband and a, and a young couple with a couple young kids. And I walked up and I said, I'm really sorry to interrupt you, but are you by any chance, are you Baronel Stutzman? Oh! And I knew you'd know who this was. Oh, yeah. And she, and she smiled. And I thought, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, so for, uh, you know this case probably way better than I do. You might want to tell your, the listeners here, who I ran into in the importance of her case well, before Bar- we continue talking about it. Well, Baron L. Stutzman is the owner of a uh, flower shop up in uh, Washington State called Arlene's Flowers. And what happened was a few years ago, a uh, customer came in, somebody who's been a customer of her for years and she has served, uh, but he announced that he is uh, going to be married to another man. And he wanted her to do the floral arrangement. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Uh, to me, you know, marriage is between one man and one woman. You're welcome to purchase anything in the shop, but I cannot custom make a floral arrangement for you. Well, uh, that case, there was a complaint made, not by the customer, interestingly enough. Um, and uh, she was faced with a situation where she could lose her business, her home, everything. And um, the case... Yeah, the state of Washington sued her, not yeah. just the business, sued her personally. personally. Yeah. Yeah. They went after her tooth and nail. And it went up, uh, actually, went to the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court at one point. And the U.S. Supreme Court said, they kicked it back to the uh, to Washington State Supreme Court and said, look, you've got to take into account this other ruling that we had in Masterpiece Cake Shop, which talked about uh, uh, hostility to organized religion, that it was not permitted. Well, the state Supreme Court kicked it right back and said, well, we don't see any ch- any difference here. So it has just been appealed again to the U.S. Supreme Court. This is a yeah, very... So they, you know, the, the, yeah, the Supreme Court kicked it back to the state of Washington, and the state of Washington brought suit against her again, or what have you, mm-hmm. and... The court, the court of Washington, state court, state supreme court in Washington ruled against her again, and so now um, Arlene's Flowers has appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. That's correct. And we're waiting. To, we're waiting to hear whether the court will take the case. Yeah, the uh, court actually goes into session, I believe, on October the sixth. That's the start of the new session. Uh, but the uh, appeal has been made officially. I mean, the submission has been done. So we're waiting to hear if the court will give a writ of certiorari. I suspect they will. I suspect they will. This is a case where the the court has been dodging the issue for years. You know, they've come up with a series of very narrow rulings saying, well, yeah, but you can't do that, but yes. But here, go back to the state and figure that out. Uh, But they're going to have to come down with a rule and say, look, you cannot, the states either can or cannot force Christians to act against their conscience. Right. So, So, you know, there she was sitting there, I think, having an ice cream with her family. (laughs) And, um, you know, in in the context of this group of eighth graders from a Christian school in Wisconsin 
talking about the importance of keeping God a priority in our lives. And there and, is a woman who has. And my goodness, um, so, you know, I apologized to her family. I said, I know you probably, because she didn't know, I, she didn't know, I said, are you Baron L. Stutzman? And, you know, I, I don't, she didn't know immediately that I was friendly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't, she was a, a little trepidatious. And so I, I said, I have a group of school kids here. Would you mind taking a picture with us? And she went, well, okay. You know, but I still don't think she was convinced that this was, we're going to take a picture with the enemy here or, mm -hmm. or what. And then, and then she, then she asked me, she said, well, um, well, how do you know of me? And I said, well, I'm a Lutheran pastor in Wisconsin. And she smiled and, <laughs> and, um, and knew that she was among, uh, among friends. And so, you know, we gathered the school kids up with Mount Rushmore in the background. And, you know, I, I told them, I said, I said, I was so geeked out about running into her. I was almost, I was almost tongue tied and I started trying to explain her case and I flipped over my, you know, I just couldn't speak it. I said, okay, Ms. Stutzman, you tell them what's going on. And so she gave them an explanation of, you know, how she served this, you know, this uh, gay couple for years. And, and, but, you know, when the Supreme court allowed gay marriages to take place that when they came in and asked, she said, I could, you know, I could do birthdays and I just can't, I can't celebrate that marriage. And so, you know, so I told the kids, I said, you know, this woman has placed, you know, her entire life's work and livelihood is on the line. And she could just say, you know, I give in, but she's deciding to fight so that you have the, you know, the opportunity if you're an artist, not to be compelled to make it, make something that is against your conscience. Um, you know, and this may seem outlandish, but I said, you know, if you, if you're an artist and this, and you have to make whatever the state tells you, you have to make, um, uh, that to me, that's Nazi Germany. Yeah. That's not the United States of America. Um, we're not talking about a hotel here. You're talking about forcing an artist to do something against their conscience. And then you basically make every artist an, a, a, an agent of, of government propaganda, potentially. Well, as Luther said at the uh, Diet of Arms, here I stand. So, yeah, what an, wasn't, wasn't that amazing, just not coincidence for oh. us to run into her? <laughs> and what an incredible lesson for the kids. Sure. I mean, this is probably, I, I don't know if they studied this in school at all, or they were they were no. aware of it, but my gosh. Most of them were, were not aware of the situation. What was their reaction when they found out? Well, I think uh, they were clearly interested because I knew of the case quite well. Our principal knew the case somewhat. I had done a Bible class about it the year before so you know the adults were the adults were excited and therefore the kids knew i don't know who this person is but the adults are really fired up about this so um and then we had the opportunity to talk about it later 
especially well, on the you know just on the on the issue of priorities. What was the reaction? How, what did they say about their issues of priorities after talking to Baron L. Stutzman and realizing what this woman has done? Well, they I, I, some things began to sink in. You know, we talked about, you know, she talked about it, and then we talked about it. You know, this, you know, because we talk in the school about sometimes you suffer for being a Christian. And most of them really haven't in any way. Um, but most of the kids have known somebody that has, you know, been through a bankruptcy or lost their home or something like that, and they had just met someone who the government was threatening basically to take away everything she had um, because she was attempting to hold up her Christian convictions in in the in the in the in her artistry, and that sunk in a little bit with the kids. That this can happen in the United States. You hear about you know, yeah, yeah. You hear about this type of persecution in other countries, but the United States? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, you know, it was, it, uh, that was just, that was one of many fortuitous moments uh, for us. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't have things like that happen at every trip. No, (laughs) I'm sure that wasn't on your agenda. (laughs) But I, you know, I told the kids, I said, you know, we don't know where this case is going to go in the Supreme Court, but if, you know, if the Supreme Court ends up saying, you know, ends up upholding this, this woman's right as an artist not to be compelled to do something she doesn't want to do, um, you know, this is going to be a case that 100 years from now people are going to be talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that doesn't, you know, running into running into someone who's a... Uh, I don't know what the legal word is, not the, you know, but a defendant or what have you in a major case before the Supreme Court, uh, that doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's not exactly Rosa Parks, but it potentially could be really, 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 really important. It could be as as important as as that, you know. Well, you know, right, because if in this, I mean, if if the government can force an artist to make something against their will. That to me is a very different country uh, than I think what Thomas Jefferson and John Adams imagined. Or even what we imagined 10, 15 years ago. Probably. I just, you know, and I know those who, you know, I know those who are strong advocates of, um, of gay marriage and so forth are, are going to argue otherwise, but uh, I mean, if you, if, if the government can force religious people, you know, artists to, 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 to do art, I mean, would they do such a thing? I mean, I'd be curious to see how this would be applied, for example, to a Muslim artist. Yeah, it would I mean, be. You can easily, you know, you pick on the Christian, but you know, what if, you know, what if, would they do this to a Muslim florist? Uh, you know, if there are, would they? Um, because if if they rule against Baron L. Stutzman, then they could. Yeah. And, well, and and there is definitely a double standard that's being applied. You know, one of the things that happened in the masterpiece cake shop piece uh, case, which is very similar to uh, to Baron L.'s, 
there was a uh, Christian who went to several, I think a total of three bakeries that were owned and operated by gays, specifically for gays. And he went to them and asked them to make cakes that would celebrate the marriage of the biblical marriage of being just one man and one woman. And they all three refused. He went to the same Civil Rights Commission that nailed uh, that nailed uh, Jack Phillips with masterpiece and said, look, I'm being discriminated against. And they're saying, no, you're not. That's crazy. It is crazy. It's bonkers. And it was one of the <laughs> it's absolutely bonkers. And more than bonkers, it's it's frightening. It is absolutely frightening. The country is going through a very basic change right now. Um, Who knows where it's going to go? So, what an amazing thing. (laughs) (laughs) What an amazing thing to run run into Baronel Stutzman and her family uh, at Mount Rushmore. And... And when those cases interesting come, to see what those four presidents would have to say about her case. Absolutely. That's that's a good question. I wonder if that's going to be raised in the debates. Interesting. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the current president certainly has come out very strongly in favor of artistic freedom and uh and uh, has defended Christians from persecution. Um the challengers not so much. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. It it will it will be with a, without a doubt. It's going to be an interesting uh, twenty twenty. You know, for sure, it will be. <laughs> of course, you know, there's that old Chinese curse: may you live in interesting times. Uh, but uh, you know, there, there was another thing in that email exchange that we had earlier that uh, uh, related to this that had, that really has gotten through to me is. Uh, how is we can sometimes ignore the absolute wondrous things around us? You know, the old thing, you know, familiarity breeding contempt. You know, for example, you know, I was raised here in St. Louis. I've never been up to the top of the arch. Are you kidding me? No. Oh, you could be flogged with a wet noodle. Seriously. My wife tells me that, believe me. It's just. You have never been up the arch? No. Never been up there. That's crazy. And um, I and I remember them building it. I mean, you could see the thing from the t- on a clear day from the second floor of my high school. You could actually see it going up. I remember the topping out ceremony. My dad was there covering it for for his uh, TV station. Oh wow! It was one. I love I love that thing. I mean, the whole building of it, the engineering. Uh huh. Um, Oh, I think it's amazing. It is. Errol Saarinen, who did, did, who was the architect who did that, 630 feet tall. It is the largest freestanding monument in the United States. The Washington Monument could fit underneath it. Also designed my seminary, by the way, Concordia oh. Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I didn't know that. It's a beautiful place to visit. He, he designed that? He did. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It designed, to, designed to be looked, built... So the Fort Wayne Seminary is this gorgeous. It's designed to look like a Scandinavian fishing village. Wow! They dug up and they dug out the lake, um, or at there to build up the ground for the for the placing of the chapel. Saarinen designed, uh, a, and it's I think it's a patented uh, diamond shaped brick. And that brick, if you go to the Fort Wayne Seminary campus. Is in all the the all the outbuildings um, is horizontal, 
the long the long the, the long length of the brick is horizontal but in the chapel which is the highest point on campus the brick is turned vertical and and that it's done for a theological reason it's a very lutheran you know it's a beautiful serene campus but that god comes down to us right so we're saved by grace through faith this is not of ourselves, right? And right. It is a gift of God, not by works. So God comes down to us and then flows through us out to the world. So the brick that Saarinen designed is vertical for the chapel. And then in all the other buildings, you see this brick, but it's horizontal, and that's by design. God comes to us in word and sacrament, and then his love flows out through us uh, into the world. It's really cool. Well, I'm going to have to look this up on the Internet. You know, I, I, I'm very familiar with the St. Louis Seminary. In fact, the radio station yeah. used to be based there. Uh, but, no, I did not know that about Fort Wayne. Yeah, the, and the St. Louis Seminary is beautiful in a very different way. You know, Amer Gothic, oh, yeah. traditional, academic. The Fort Wayne Seminary is designed, it's, the, it's a Scandinavian. You can see it. Uh, you know, the, there's, a, there's a simplicity to the arch that that makes it magnificent and I, I feel the same way about the what he did with the fort wayne seminary is very similar mm -hmm. um there's a there's a simplicity to it uh any anybody who likes apple devices would kind of get it um <laughs> you know that there there's a simplicity to it that, that, that there's a real power yeah uh, well my it. my home computer's an apple yeah yeah so you're so you've never been to the arch no, well i've yeah. been to it but i just never gone up Oh, yeah. Are you afraid of heights or enclosed spaces or something? No, not at all. I just never got around to it. Oh, well, you need to do that. Yeah. Well, my wife or, has or been... I'm gonna, <laughs> or I'm going to harass you. <laughs> oh, my wife has been scolding me. She says, why don't you get out of the house and do something? So maybe... Uh... We do often. You know, I grew up, Kip, it's interesting you say that. I grew up in the wonderful little town of Frankenmuth, Michigan, which is a Lutheran missionary colony and... Um, one of Michigan's top tourist attractions. Uh, it's you know looks like a little Franconian village, and people you know millions of people come uh, to see the the shops and eat chicken dinners and go to the um, go to the world's largest uh, Christmas store and so on and so forth. And so many Frankenmuth people had you know n never went to these little things, you know, didn't need it, didn't need it Zenders or didn't go to Bronner's or mm -hmm. um, we were, you know, we missed all this stuff or even took advantage. You know, it was a, it was a wealthy little town, you know, set in the midst of mostly, you know, middle, lower income farmish communities. And you had a wealthy little town there. Most of us just took, you know, a lot of us just took it for granted. <laughs> but then when we move away, we realize, oh my goodness, we grew up in an extraordinary place. Oh yeah. You know, my wife, one of the first things she, uh, we did when we were married, because uh, you know, I've been out in California for like 30 years, you know, I lost touch with what happened here in St. Louis. And she took me out to what's called the Solard Market. And I've you, heard of this. Oh, it's marvelous. You wouldn't believe what they had in there. I even got alligator on a stick. <laughs> she refused oh. to have it. <laughs> but, but, yeah, they have any, anything you want there you can get. But, uh, no, I've, I've, uh, I used to get, uh, I've had alligator a number of times. It's really good eating. <laughs> yeah, and 
you know, you, we do miss that stuff. It's in, we had a chapel service yesterday at St. Paul's, and the, the adult chaperones on the faculty did the chapel. Our, on the note that you brought up, our, our seventh grade homeroom teacher, Megan Shanks, who is a, a Lutheran pastor's daughter, her, uh, she, put, she put up a picture of a sunset with a little sunflower in the foreground, mm. and she talked about precisely what you were talking She talked about appreciation, uh, about how being out there helped her to see God's creation and appreciate it in a way that she hadn't necessarily before. You know, that, that brings back a memory. My senior year in college, I was at Southern Illinois University up in Edwardsville, and uh, I was sharing an apartment with these three other guys. And uh, we, what we used to do is uh, around sunset, we'd, we'd we had this uh, we had this balcony, and we'd go out to the balcony and drink our wine and watch the sun go down. And one of the guys was what at the time was referred to as a Jesus freak. And I remember him saying, "Isn't it wonderful that God puts a show on for us every day, and it's never the same, and it's always free?" And I remember thinking at the time, "Yeah, he's weird." No, he's right. <laughs> he was right. Oh, the wonders God. No, no doubt. No doubt. Oh my gosh. You we know. take advantage, you know, in my, you know, if you if you ever come up to our part of Wisconsin and mm -hmm. come and see St. Paul's, I mean, we we end up taking taking for granted where we are, but my my church is set on a lake. We have 600 feet of lakefront. Wow. Most of our most of our school classrooms have windows that that face the lake <laughs> in some way. Isn't that amazing? It is. I mean, you, right, you you get look, it, 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 and it is, it's stunning. It's beautiful. And we, you know, we, we, we so often take it for granted in our part of the world, but it, it's crazy how gorgeous it is. Get any fishing done there? I'm not a big fisherman, but uh, many do. And the, some of the kids are, we're allowed to, you know, they have to be supervised, but the kids can bring fishing poles Mm. for uh, recess or in their lunchtime, and they could go out there. So That's yeah. going to be another the memory. Winter, when the winter, when it freezes, they, mm -hmm. they skate. Oh, boy. And those are other Isn't memories they're going to take, they're going to carry with them their whole lives. Indeed. Well, Lance, we're about out of time here. Uh, in about 20 seconds or so, can you uh, give me some last thoughts? Enjoy the opportunities before you. Don't take for granted uh, even the mundane, because God is at work, and it is a pleasure to, you know, if you step outside of yourself, you will be able to see and uh, comprehend some amazing, the, the amazing glory of God. It absolutely is true. You see the the shadows filtering through the leaves at sunset, or you get up in the morning and you watch how the the clouds are streaked. The smell of grass after it's been mowed or if it's been watered. Wonderful. Lance, I want to thank you so much. we got to do this again. Thank you. You've been listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org.
Thank you for listening and supporting. The Pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.